Well, here we are again in the Attributes of God, Session 9, and this one is about God's immutability. May I remind you before you start that to maximise this study, you should have a Bible by you, as I will not always quote in full the passages to which I refer, and for you to benefit from the study, you really do need to look them up for yourself. Roger Price says, this type of course is so very important. It separates the sheep from the goats. Materialism and humanism has come into the church. Many are more concerned with what God can do for them than God himself. They will crowd into a healing meeting but won't come to hear about the healer himself. God is being used for what we can get out of him. This leaves us with barrenness and we are getters, not givers. Roger died in 1987 after a nine-month battle with cancer. How much more true is this comment now than it was then? This course isn't about what God can do for you, but about him. And personally, I'm thrilled with this particular one. His immutability is probably my own personal favourite. Before the foundation of the world was laid, there existed a community of connected persons living in deep and abiding joy and love. We have always been delighted and thrilled with one another. We have joyfully shared a majesty and a sovereignty. We live in the place of awesome, outrageous joy. We exist in perfect love and astonishing goodness. Our relationships are delightful, fun, purposeful and deeply intentional. That's taken from Graham Cook's soaking CD, The Missing Piece. The unchangeable God who always was, is and will be forever the same. The biblical word is immutable. It means he never ever changes the way he is in his nature. He's immutable but he's not immovable. He can and does change his mind about what he's determined to do in certain circumstances. Nineveh is a very good example of this, as we will see later on. Most of us know that God is love. He's holy, omniscient and eternal, but his immutability is a really neglected attribute. And this is regrettable because it's a most beautiful attribute and it gives us such security. God never changes. That means you always know where you are with him. You might not know what he's going to do next, but you always know what his nature is, what he's like, and most importantly, how he feels towards you. We are changeable. Some of us are up one minute and down the next. Thermometers, not thermostats. We're all over the place. And we have our off days too. We age, we change. Around us we live in a constant state of change. Seasons come and go. The weather changes all the time in England. We don't have climate here, we have weather. If you don't like the weather, wait half an hour, it will change, is what we say here. Change is part of our existence. When we say God never changes, we have a difficulty. We're saying he never varies. He doesn't have off days. He doesn't blow hot and cold. He doesn't love us one day and reject us the next. We find that hard to grasp because of our own changeability. God has always been God and he has never changed. He never began 
and he will never end. All he is, he has always been and always will be. He's kind-hearted, gracious, loving, good-natured and benevolent. He's honourable, generous, cordial, approachable and thoughtful. In his graciousness is almost embarrassingly courteous towards us, at least I find it so. He's slow to anger and so swift to bless. He's eternal and immutable. You could think about those attributes for a while and be immensely improved in your thinking. Your faith level will be greater or lesser depending on how you perceive him. He never has to change for the better because he's already perfect. He's utterly and completely without any need of anything or any need to change for the better in any way at all. Words fail. As he is, he always will be. The perfection of perfections. So what about us? The Bible says we like the sea, always changing. Speaking of the mass of humanity in Isaiah 57.20, where it describes the wicked as being like the troubled sea. Let your imagination think about that statement for a minute. It's never still. Fallen man is like the troubled sea, has no peace, it's all over the place. God, on the other hand, is described as being a rock. Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Here, he's described as a rock. Rock never seems to change. You go back to your favourite seaside resort and there's the rock, just as it was when you were three, and it'll still be there when you've long gone. Our God, the rock. He doesn't change. This is a great comfort compared with the seething mass of humanity. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. How lovely is that? 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3 and David's song of deliverance. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust. The Lord is my rock, fortress and deliverer, shield, high tower, refuge, total security. He is a hiding place from the storms of life, a place where I am saved from my enemies and sometimes myself. In Psalm 18, David's song is repeated as he extols the Lord who has delivered him from, verse 5, the waves of death and the floods of ungodly men, all of which speak of the restless movement of man. But his total security is in the rock that never moves. Jesus is described as the rock of our salvation and he talks about rock and sand in a parable. There's only one rock, the rock. Christ Jesus. Don't build on anything else. It has no substance. Build on the unchanging, immutable rock. Psalm 40, verse 2. So where in the Bible does it say that God is immutable? Psalm 102, 26 and 27 tells us that God will have no end. In Malachi 3, 6, the Lord says of himself, I am the Lord. I do not change. For a New Testament verse, we need to go to James 1.17. There is no var variableness nor shadow of turning in him. 
Here he's described as the father of lights, a reference back to Genesis 1. He created on day 4, where on he created on day 4 the sun and the moon. There's no variableness or shadow of turning in him. The moon is always changing, the stars migrate as far as we're concerned. Everything is moving and changing, but the creator isn't like his creation. He is the rock of our salvation. Everything about him we have looked at is always the same. So everything we've seen will never change. We can be absolutely sure of this. If God ever chose to love you, he must love you forever. His love will always be towards you. He's loved you from eternity past. Sin is forgiven forever. He's not going to say one day, mm, what about this, I've changed my mind. He chooses not to remember. Hebrews 10 verse 17. If he's decided you're saved, you're saved forever. Your salvation doesn't rest on your performance. It rests on him and his choice. He knew you would believe and he chose you before the foundation of the earth. That's at least 5,000 years ago then. In 2020, the Jews are in the year 5,780 because they start counting from creation. He is changeless, but we must radically change to come into alignment with him. We must agree with him that everything we are and have comes from the Jesus in us to the Jesus in us, not from any merit of our own. Romans 11:36. He's clothed us with his garments of salvation and he's not about to remove them. Romans 11:29. Now here's a scripture that is often erroneously used to refer to spiritual gifts. But it doesn't relate to that if you read it in context. It refers to the calling of the nation of Israel and the fact that we have been grafted in because of their disobedience. Incidentally, if you believe you can lose what God has freely given you, take a look at this to prove you cannot. Israel may be out of fellowship right now, but they're not out of God's heart. Romans 11:28 to 28-31, New King James Version. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. The gift and the calling of God are without repentance. If God ever called the Jews, he's called them forever. They are cut off at the moment because of their unbelief. And here Paul warns us, you aren't the original vine, you're a wild plant, so don't become proud. Remember where you've come from. There's no argument. He set his love on them and it's forever. He says in Jeremiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 We're beginning to see what it means for God to be immutable. Nothing is going to change his heart towards his creation. Further back in the Old Testament, Numbers 23, 18-25, Balaam the prophet has a problem. 
He's being paid to curse Israel and his cry, cry is, how can I curse that which God has blessed? And famously he cries, God is not a man that he should lie, nor repent, change his mind. He has said, and will he not do? I cannot reverse it. God has decided to bless Israel and Balaam can't change it. They will be blessed. He can't speak against it. God doesn't repent. He doesn't change his mind. But in the book of Jonah, we saw that God saw their works and, and that they turned and God repented of the evil that he said he would do. That's the King James. Their repentance moved his heart and he blessed them. As I said at the beginning, he is immutable but not immovable. Repentance from us changes God's heart. As he was, he is. Today, he tells the church in advance through his prophets what he's going to do. The call is to align themselves with him, so we will petition him to have mercy in the face of the wickedness of man. It's part of the function of the church in the earth to move the hand of God by prayer. That's why he tells us to provoke us to that prayer. We see this so clearly with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18:16 and following. And here we find Abraham bargaining with the Almighty. If you find ten, will you relent? Yes, is the answer. God is moved by Abraham's petition for Sodom and Gomorrah. He calls us into both fellowship and partnership with himself, amazingly. And we need to heed this principle in these days, where prophecies abound about destruction on nations, in order that we may stand in the gap and intercede for mercy upon them. We will not stand in the face of what is to come unless we know who God is and his word to us and the power he has placed in our hands. There is a condition to meet, though. We need clean hands and a pure heart. Yet another way in which he's not changed, there are conditions to coming to him in intercession. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Psalm 66, 16 to 18. In 1 Samuel 15, 28 and 29, God appears to repent. But in earlier verses of chapter 15, we see that God regrets that he's chosen Saul. So he repented, verse 35. God repented he'd made Saul king over Israel. In the modern King James Version, the word relent is used. God changed his mind about calling Saul, who disqualified himself. By his behaviour. He was impatient, he didn't wait for Samuel to arrive, but went ahead for fear of losing the favour of the people. There's a salutary lesson right there, because as a result, he lost the kingdom. To repent, to have another thought, is something we can easily identify with. We make decisions and when we see where it gets us, we're sorry we did it and we repent. Remorse, on the other hand, is pained that it's been found out and makes no effort to change in the future. Judas was filled with remorse, but it didn't make him change his mind about who Jesus was and sorry for what he'd done to an innocent man. 
So we see that whereas God is immutable, he's not unmovable. He responds to us. He feels things just as we do. He responds to us. He weeps when we are foolish and rejoices when we are obedient. He repents or relents. It's not emotional. He just changes his course because we have changed ours. The Greeks had two words for repent. To them it meant both a changed mind and a changed direction. And repentance for us must mean exactly this or we'll never change for the better. An immutable principle of God is that the godly are blessed and the ungodly are judged. This is absolutely immutable. It never ever changes. And Nineveh is a good example of this. The ungodly are under judgment. Jonah is commissioned to warn them. His heart is hard and he's pleased with the message. I'm going to watch your destruction, he thinks to himself, rubbing his hands. To his consternation, at his warning, they repent from the top down as the king issues an edict to fast and turn to the Lord. And as a result, God withholds the judgment. Jonah, unhappy about this, goes into a sulk. But this is God's nature. He is slow to anger and rich in mercy. He hates judgment, but his holiness demands it. It was the people who changed here, not God. They fasted and humbled themselves and turned to him with their whole hearts. And his unchangeable rule came into force. He blessed them. He couldn't help himself. It's his nature to bless, not judge or punish. When we come to the New Testament and see Jesus as our great high priest, we find he's not a high priest who is unmoved by our condition as he makes intercession for us. But still, the change, the movement is always on our side. When he sees us turning, he rejoices. He's not immovable, unmovable either, though he is immutable. So let's just see that each member of the Godhead is immutable. The Father is immutable. Hebrews 6.17, God's oath to the Jews, the immutable counsel of God the Father. The Son is immutable. Hebrews 13.8, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And the Holy Spirit is immutable. Hebrews 9.14, the eternal Spirit. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And the example here is that the wages of sin for the unbeliever are death. It's written. There will be eternal hellfire. He's not going to change his mind about this. For us, the wages of our sin were his death. So we will not taste death. Praise his wonderful name. The unbeliever, though, needs to know that God is a God of his word. There will be a day of judgment. God has purposed it and he changes not. The unbeliever will encounter the day of judgment and the only way to avoid it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For us, we know who we have believed and we can trust that he isn't going to change. If he's ever made you a promise, you can trust him. It will be manifested because he's unchangeable and because it was fulfilled the moment he spoke it to you. He saw it done the moments he spoke. As we grow up in him, 
He desires us to become more unchangeable, more stable, more dependable, steadier, just like him. If we have character flaws, if we're impetuous, hot-headed, moody or tyrannical, up and down, this is understandable when you're first saved. But as you grow up, you should become more stable, more self-controlled and full of the Spirit. If you don't, you'll lose out on the blessing God so desires to give you. Next time then, we'll look at God's love. God bless you.